Hi, I'm Kevin DeCristofano. I'm Sean Flanagan. We are the Ninja Turtle Nerds, your weekly podcast where we discuss the Ninja Turtle comics one issue at a time. Welcome back to Season 3, Episode 3. A lot of threes. The Trinity. (laughs) Curse of three. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, it's great to be back. Glad we're flowing on into this season here. How have you been this week? Pretty good. I've been uh, reading these old noir, like, pulp books. I think that's part of the appeal of Mystery Science Theater for me is, like, watching, like, especially the shorts. Yeah. (laughs) When you would see, like, kind of how life was, even though it was through like a very filtered lens, Um, (laughs) you get to kind of get a view of what things were like. So I've been doing that. That's been fun and still plugging away at Mario 64. I started the DC animated universe movies because, you know, I've got my HBO max. I might as well. There's a lot Um, of those. Yeah. I started with year one. It was okay. And then I moved on to Long Halloween, which I'm not digging so far. For whatever reason, it doesn't work as an animated movie to me. Yeah, I was going to say the exact same thing. I was going to say it feels like something gets lost in the translation to movement. (laughs) Which is weird. But yeah, Yeah. that's how I felt with that one. But I prefer the Dark Knight Returns animated to the book. Yeah, the DC animated stuff's pretty decent. I'm... I know Marvel was doing that for a little while, but they didn't get too far, and I feel like they were all based on the Ultimate version. I, I, I know you're right, but like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't really know where they went with it. But speaking of those movies and Batman teaming up with the Ninja Turtles, we've got the color volume continuing this week with the Ninja Turtles, not Batman. He's not there. <laughs> <laughs> And this is issue three of volume two we're going to talk about. It's called Evolution. And it is the same credits. It's the same credits for all of volume two, if I'm not mistaken. It's always, not always the same cover artist, but this week it's Peter Leard and Kevin Eastman. But it's always story by Jim Lawson, always pencils by Jim Lawson, always inks by Jason Temujin Manure, lettering by Mary Kelleher, colors by Eric Vinvent on the original and Digicore Design Limited colors on the IDW reprints. And you can so. find it on Comixology and in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Classics Volume 8. And it came out in February of 1994. So let's go take a look back at February of 94. This month in entertainment not an easy month to spell february always tripped me up as a youngster (laughs) Uh, but looking back at february of 94 movies we've got ace ventura pet detective all right so this was the beginning of the year of jim carrey kicks off with ace ventura a movie that like i and i'm sure you as well have a lot of nostalgia for despite the fact that there's some problematic things in wouldn't fly today so it's it's always hard to wrestle with those things when you're like, oh, I've got such nostalgia for this movie, but the the transphobic stuff in there, it's just not cool. Yeah, that uh, I'd say out of his three for ninety four, Ace Ventura holds up the least. 
And it was kind of going for that. It was kind of trying to be like a raunchy R-rated comedy for kids. Yeah. I feel like like that was kind of the idea. It was like let's let's give kids uh, 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 let's give little kids their version of like Animal House. And then also that month we had Blank Check, classic. That's a creepy See, movie. See, I always thought that Blank Check and Richie Rich came out around the same time. No, just the same year, right? Richie Rich came out in December. So it's like a full 12 month like uh 10 months away from this. It's not close at all. Yeah, Blank Check also does not hold up. That whole aging. I have not. That's one I have not gone back oh, and rewatched. You, you, you need I, to rewatch it just for the. Uh, I feel like I saw it enough as a kid that I have the movie memorized. I mean, I know it's kind of weird. The relation, the the like, the movie kind of pushes for you to root for this love story of this like twenty five year old woman and this this ten year old kid. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, that part's a little odd. I just remember the the scene where he cashes the check and the bank guy going juice. Because <laughs> that was the guy's code name. I mean, at the time, the movie was pretty implausible, but imagine... Oh, and he went by Macintosh, because nobody knew what Macintosh computers were. Yep. <laughs> Back Mr. then, they Macintosh were not as popular. Bought that big house with all that ridiculous stuff. I think the chauffeur is the only, like, likable character in the movie. Yeah, played by, um... Oh, what's his name? I don't know. I can no, look at him. No, he's like... A, he's not a big... He's a, he's a guy. He's a guy. He's not a, you know, big name. Richard Duckoman. Who's Richard Duckoman? That's the chauffeur. Oh. See, in my mind, I I thought it was like a John Candy type actor. This is my my brain completely put a different person into that role. No, actually, this this ties in perfectly with Ace Ventura. You get two tone Loke movies in one month. He plays Juice, and then he's the detective in Ace Ventura. Good point. Good point. Good. It was a good month for uh, for Tone Loke. It's the uh, the brief period Michael Lerner was relevant in the nineties. He played the mayor yeah. in the awful Godzilla remake. Miguel Ferreira would be the big name from Blank Check. I really can picture like a John Candy like type actor like doing the race car scene with him i don't know like i did not that was not who i how i pictured the the limo driver at all okay moving on memory is faulty this is why eyewitness testimony is no good um (laughs) especially for crimes that are tried years after all right also came out this month my girl 2 so they did not bring the guy the kid back from the dead i'm guessing i think that was a different Love story. That would probably be a more <laughs> interesting sequel. <laughs> and also, The Getaway came out this month. Oh, they used to show that yeah. on Comedy Central all the time. They did, and I heard on a podcast recently, I think it was um, The Best Movies Never Made. That's what it was on. They were talking about it. And apparently, if I'm remembering the correct movie... It suffered because it looked too good for its budget. Because apparently the getaway was made for like no money, but it looks like a like twenty million dollar movie, and it didn't make twenty million dollars. So a lot of people thought it was a failure, even though it didn't cost that much to make. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like they were like, oh, it only brought in sixteen million, and it's like meanwhile I think the budget was actually like two million. 
<laughs> but but it looks like a twenty million dollar movie. So anyway, they were they were talking about that on their show. And also, Reality Bites came out this month. So I've never seen. I know it from the Limp Biscuit lyric. <laughs> reality bites, but that's what there, life huh? is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, music. Speaking of Limp Biscuit, they're not on the charts yet. It's only it's only ninety four, but Billboard number one songs from February ninety four. February 5th, it was All for Love by Brian Adams, Rob Stewart, and Sting. That's the last week. That's at number one. And then the rest of the month, the number one song was The Power of Love, but not the one you're thinking of. It's the one by Celine Dion. That that one's not as good. All right, so video games from this month. The cover of Nintendo Power is Bugs Bunny Rabbit Rampage. And it's a whole cast of loony characters, it says. Rabbit then Rampage. Also, I don't remember that. There were a lot of those Looney Tunes, Looney Tunes games, and they all blur together for me. Like I know there was a Roadrunner Coyote game that I, I remember I liked. that. There was a, t- a couple of Tasmania games. I'm surprised they haven't released like a collection or something. Maybe they were all made by different publishers. I don't know. Duck Dodgers. Yeah, that was a game. Yep. <laughs> so also. <laughs> Also in this issue, uh, there's a few pages on Spider-Man X-Men Arcade's Revenge. <laughs> either that or Maximum Carnage were the Spider-Man games I played the most growing up before the PlayStation 2 era. No, but. Spider-Man and the X-Men Arcade's Revenge is one of the worst games I've ever played. I could probably do that first stage blindfolded. I've done it so many times, but after that first intro stage... The difficulty, like, curve, it just goes right off a cliff. It goes from, like, okay, I could handle this game to I can't beat any of these levels. <laughs> like, it's it's got, like, a Mega Man-style thing where you select the X-Men or Spider-Man yep. level you want to play. And they're all ridiculously difficult after the intro level. Yeah, the Sp- Spider-Man one I couldn't get far in. The Wolverine I played it with save states, even with that, and I still could barely beat. It took me like a whole day to beat the Wolverine level with save states. That's the only level I really remember because that's the only level that connected to arcade directly, right? Yeah, and it's it's baloney because it's it the, the the thing with the level is Juggernaut is chasing you through the level. That's and what it was. It's one of those things where there's like he represents an invisible wall because if you jump over him, you also die. Yep. Like you just have to. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. <laughs> Maximum Carnage is difficult, but at least it's fun. And it's got cameos by like the whole Marvel universe, which is fun in the the form of those power ups. And then TV events from this month, February 5th, Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego premieres on Fox. Where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? February 23rd, this one surprised me, Bonkers, the the cartoon show that basically took the premise of Who Framed Roger Rabbit and made it a cartoon. Uh, Bonkers ends after 62 episodes. Like, I had no idea the show ran that long. It says it ran for, like, four seasons. I thought that was a one-and-done show, but I guess not. Yeah, I thought that had, like, 20 episodes max. All right, February 23rd, 
CBS coverage of the short program in women's figure skating at the Winter Olympics in Lillehammer, Norway, fueled by the media frenzy from a scandal in which um, associates of figure skater Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan, uh, so everyone's watching for that, it immediately becomes one of the highest rated primetime television programs in American history. So everyone was like crazy for figure skating because of the Tanya Harding, Nancy Kerrigan thing for, for one month in 1994. You know, it. well, one, I, is a great movie if you haven't seen it. Like, I love the way they tell the story through that. But I wonder how many people tuning in like expected to see something like that happen again. If they were like, oh, it might be like hockey. Like maybe these people are <laughs> kneecapping each other all the time. <laughs> but it's funny now because it, it's a you know it's a horrible thing that happened but it feels so quaint compared to the stuff that happens now yeah it's it's and it's weird it would be like if like ratings went up on like patriots games after aaron hernandez was arrested or something it's like this game isn't going to have anything to do with the controversy <laughs> it's yeah. so weird that it's linked and on saturday night live february 12th was hosted by alec baldwin and kim basinger or Bassinger. Pretty sure it's Bassinger. The Getaway. And it had musical guest UB40. And then two weeks <laughs> later, this is a, a, a piece of Saturday Night Live history I did not know about. February 19th. During the opening monologue on Saturday Night Live, guest host Martin Lawrence makes some... Uh, oh, you some don't know this? No, he had he had a very inappropriate monologue, which resulted in NBC banning him from appearing on the network for the next year. Not just SNL, the whole fuck, the whole um, NBC network. I didn't know he and was banned he, from the network. I knew he was banned from for SNL. a year. He was banned from NBC for a year, so he couldn't go on like the uh, Today Show or whatever they have in the morning. Couldn't go nothing. on the Tonight Show, Conan. Tonight anything. Show, yeah, nothing for a year. And he was banned from SNL for life. And yes. in repeats of the episode, when they rerun it, or even if you watch it on Hulu, he's, you can see him start his monologue. He does like three minutes. And then where it starts to get inappropriate, I guess, they replace it by a title card. And it's got like a, a narrator reading that says, although SNL is neutral about the issues mentioned by Lawrence. Network policy prevents his remarks from being rebroadcast. Uh, it mentions that the incident almost cost the entire cast of Saturday Night Live their jobs. So, clearly this was a big thing. Yeah. I've never the heard of writing. the cast. Everyone <laughs> The whole writing trouble. staff was involved. You know, it wasn't. he didn't just go up there and freestyle. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, people had to approve that, and it went live on the air. Here's the thing, and this is a family-friendly podcast, so I'm not going to read it. You can find a transcript of what he said, but so far, and I looked, nowhere on the internet can you find an actual video of the of him doing this monologue. So none of the deliver the delivery is all up to your imagination. Like who knows <laughs> what the punctuation was. Um, but yeah, you can find a transcript of it. It's pretty lewd. I'm kind of surprised they thought that was cool to go to air with, to tell you the truth. <laughs> I was like, did they think no one would notice? That's all the 
the hullabaloo I have for the month that this year comic book came out. So going to the cover, it's kind of a companion cover, I guess, to the last time. Where Yeah, one thing I like about Volume 2, all the covers have like a motif, I guess I'm trying to say. Like they all fit into a, a, a pattern. Yeah, they almost look like album artwork for songs for a concept album. But yeah, there's always like a very simple thing going on in the foreground. It's usually like just one or two, maybe three characters. And then the background is it it kind of reminds me of like when you get trading cards and you get like a holographic card. Yep. You know, those shiny ones that were like rare and they'd, they'd be in the case for like five dollars if you wanted to buy them, like just instead of finding them. Yeah. So it, that'll be the background. But the covers weren't holographic. It just looks like that the way they the way they color it. So this cover has one of the turtles in the background and has a the cyborg robot attacking some soldiers. Last episode, we talked about the stuff you saw hanging in Baxter Stockman's laboratory. And it looks, I guess those must've been prototypes because it doesn't look anything like anything he had. Nope. But, uh, it, it's a good cover and I, I like that, it, you know, it ties to the issue. I feel like, yeah, I, I agree. I like the design of the robot. I feel like the design of the robot is the beginning of where you can see the image comics kind of sensibility. Okay. Yeah. In. Yep. And you can kind of see where them transitioning to image comics. You can see the, the wheels in motion here where, where they would fit in. And I mean, they've already had crossovers with uh savage dragon. So which does come up yep. strangers to that universe. Yeah. No, I, I... We're going to talk about those comics someday. They did a few. I'd like to read them. Those are probably something that's difficult to find. I can't remember if I said it on the show or not, but it's so weird that the second issue of Savage Dragon is the Ninja Turtle crossover. Because yep. it's like, you try if you try to read Savage Dragon from the beginning, it's like the first issue sets him up, and then issue two, you're like, all right, here's this new character I'm into. What's his adventure going to be? Oh, He's in a different city away from everyone he knows, hanging out with these characters from a different comic book. <laughs> like, right away, that comic goes off the rails. That, that has to be, the like, one of the most ambitious crossover attempts ever. Strictly because it's only your second issue of your character. No, I mean... I could be wrong about this because I'm not a Savage Dragon expert, but from what I understand, he had appearances in backups and like a, a, a short or something before he got his solo series. Okay. I could be wrong about that, but I think there's like a short story about Savage Dragon that predates the, the first issue. So before we get to the nod to Savage Dragon in this issue, we open... On a full page panel of the soldiers in the facility trying to open a door. And it's <laughs> the most late 80s, early 90s <laughs> contraption I've seen in a while. It's a very bland page, to it tell is. you the truth. For something that's a full page, it's like the door takes up like 60% of the page. And it's just a blue door. Like a blue flat, like you'd see in Goldeneye on Nintendo 64, like a blue flat door. 
What I find weird about it is you're so used to the detail in Mirage. And yeah, this and I is think not this might come type. with the, them starting to be under a, a rushed schedule or, or not being able to keep up with a monthly yeah. schedule because we're going to miss a month uh, when we get to next issue uh, that there's a month without a, a comic. That's their first stumble is issue four. So as, as we get into the story, a team of soldiers have infiltrated the facility and are looking for Baxter Stockman. And what what I liked is that you can see him sitting in the background on a chair. Mm-hmm. I just again we always say this book is cinematic, but it just perfectly sets up that whole moment. So the lead soldier tells him to freeze. They turn Baxter's body around like you do in movies, and the whole top of his head's missing. <laughs> which Whenever I see this, it always reminds me of that Simpsons uh, Treehouse of Horror where they switch uh, Homer and, and Mr. Burn or they put Homer's brain in a robot body. Yeah, yeah. And like they, they saw his head off the same way. And like I always think of that sound effect when Homer's head hits the ground and it's like a bowl yep. wobbling on the kitchen floor. That So many questions already on this issue. I know last issue we saw him kind of dot in his skull. How? How how on earth was he able to <laughs> cut the top of the, his head off so well? The only explanation I can come up with is he programmed the robot to do it. Okay. That's the only thing that makes any sense because you can't cut your own uh, skull open. Because like be- between that and how clean it is. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, I don't understand how this happened, but yeah, the and robot. We describe the robot too. I don't think we've done that on the show. We All we've said is that it doesn't look like any of the ones we've seen so far. So the robot body he ends up in, to me, looks like the battle droids. Not the battle droids. What oh, the uh, de- I, destroyer I droids? Destroyers, yeah. No, the destroyers are the ones that roll up. I'm in looking balls. it up. <laughs> yeah, what are they? They're super battle droids? It might be that simple. Man, remember yes. when it was possible to know everything about Star Wars? <laughs> Those days are long gone. Yeah, super battle droids. So, yes, they look All like right. them. So, R2-D2 is going to come and mess this guy up. <laughs> Light him on fire. So, it, the reveal here is great. It reminded me of when uh, Jeff Bridges gets in the Ironmonger suit and Iron Man and attacks the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. It's yeah, kind of get that vibe going. I hadn't thought of that. It's also kind of kind of like Tony Stark in the cave too because you remember yep. his assistant, you know, he's powering up and yeah. So Baxter Bot is what I dubbed this thing. He he kills <laughs> kills all the soldiers and then I I don't know, maybe this didn't hit you the same way, but when he goes over to his body and he takes his glasses, yeah. I just thought that whole moment it was creepy. It is creepy. I thought you were going to like hit me with something that I wouldn't feel because being someone, I don't wear glasses and you do. So I thought you, no, thought you were going to give me some insight. But, it was um, just <laughs> insight, unsettling. <glasses. laughs> All right. Um. Thank you and good night. But No, but I, yeah, it, it, it is creepy. It's it's very much like, uh, it, it's almost like, like the Frankenstein's monster 
like uh, wanting to throw pretty things in the river or something. Like it's like yeah, it's, it's got, got like that. a fragment of a thought. Yep, yeah, it's got that feel to it. But I don't know. It was a great moment. It's very effective. And then uh, we we catch up with Raphael, and uh, he's going I, into a. I don't like the way they have his sigh in this volume. The whole no. volume. First off, he puts them like in the front of his his undershell. I guess his, it, they're like on his chest, and it just looks like they would restrict his movement so much the way they are. Like he can't bend over without stabbing himself. <laughs> Too much. It's very similar to how the the action figure. Would store them. Yeah. Which should get. So yeah, they should either be on the back of the shell or on the side, but. Sides or, makes most sense to me, but. If they're going to be on the front here, I'm going to start tracking the way people do Raphael's sigh. I'll let, I'll let you know when it looks comfortable to me, because I'm pretty sure this whole volume, it, it I never I never like it. So Raph's exploring a basement and discovers this statue, which uh, I guess came to lot came to life at some point and there's a little blurb about how it's from the savage dragon crossover yeah i didn't dig Funny any deeper that. on it i didn't even remember that it came up <laughs> yeah so there's a little nod to that it turns out raf's exploring a church to live in and i i would assume this was intentional i think it's cool this is a concept idw brings back later on i had that same thought where like this is definitely where that inspiration came from and then we, we go to the farmhouse and Donnie, I don't know, everything with Donnie right now is confusing to me because Splinter and him specifically said we're going to stay in the cave. And I think is, they forgot that because that was volume one. They said they were going to stay in the cave. But since the start of volume two, they've been all over Casey Jones farmhouse. <laughs> so Donnie almost gets caught eating homemade tuna casserole at Casey's farmhouse. And I find it weird that there doesn't seem to be any indication of Splinter being there. Oh, I think just Donnie's going. I think Splinter is staying at the cave. Okay. So we get that little moment. I, I had to take a minute, and then once I read the page and went further, I realized it's not Casey. So I thought this was Casey Jones with the bald head, and I was like, why the hell would he do that? But it's not. <laughs> no, I think they draw him differently enough, I knew. But okay. <laughs> did you mention uh, you, you forgot the part about the cop? Oh, yeah, there's a cop that shows up and thinks he sees something at the Jones farm, and he calls it in. And they tell him, oh, yeah, that, that belongs to the Jones family, and that kind of, like, tips something off for him. So we'll, we'll get to the reveal for that. But the bald guy... He just is, climbs right in the window, too. <laughs> like, yeah, I know. Just What if this was somebody's house? Cops can't just climb in your window. <laughs> morning. You get coffee going? Great. But knowing who this is, they probably don't care about procedure that much. Procedure's not really a big thing for this guy. Yeah. <laughs> so we leave the cop and we, we go to Mr. Brolins and Miss Tillett, who are outside on their patios at their apartments, discussing the new landlord. About First how, appearance. Yep. How of, she, that, of that Ninja Turtle character everybody loves. Mrs. Tillett. Um, <laughs> I was talking sure. about the guy, but okay, yeah. She, pretty sure she's getting a figure. So they're talking about how the rent has been raised and how <laughs> the new landlord is living in sin, basically. 
I just thought it was a funny moment because we never check in with Casey in April this issue. We just find out that their tenants are kind of passive-aggressive people who aren't happy their rent went up. Yeah, we don't even really learn what we're going to eventually learn about this this male character here. We, we almost learn nothing other than that he seems like a nice guy. That takes us to the sewers with Mikey and Leo, who are also trying to find new digs. And they, they kind of find a section of sewer they like, and they even start, like, trying to plan out how to, like, make a hidden entrance. And I thought a lot of that stuff was cool, how they kind of know where they can tap into the power and get water. And then Mikey Mikey drops a little uh, truth bomb on Leo and tells him he wants to stay at the apartment. And that he spoke with Casey and April about it, and I'm not really sure where this would be, but knock a wall down so he can get into the sewer easier from the apartment. Casey, I mean, Casey can get it done. Oh, I'm sure he can get it done. I'm just trying to figure out because the deal was Mikey has to be quiet. I mean, keep in mind, in this version of New York, the sewers are basically an underground city. So he probably just needs to cut a hole in the floor and boom, right there, you got access. So I just thought that was funny because it's like, so you can have Casey knocking a wall down noisily, but you want Mikey to keep it down. And then you, again, Leo, Leo's really growing on me the more of this we read. And he has this great moment where he kind of just thinks about how they're all getting older and they're all kind of getting their own little separate places. And I don't know, just a nice moment that I don't feel gets explored too often in other versions of the turtles you feel like what isn't explored just them getting older and you know wanting space of their own i see what you're saying yeah because they have to remain teenagers forever it's gonna get it gets explored a little bit in volume three um about them getting older uh and then volume by the time you get to idw in volume five they de-age them back to i think they're 15 when that comic starts. So right now they're supposed to be 16. There's actually, it's funny you bring that up. I read the letters, uh, the letters column at the end of this issue. I'll skip to that real quick. And yeah. somebody did write in mentioning like, Hey, this book's been coming out for years now, like over 10 years. Why haven't you aged the turtles? And it's like, well, first off, no one in comics ages. Second off, it's been coming out for 10 years, but there's been so many delays that it's it's basically only like three years worth of comics if you if you put them all together. Yeah. And like third off, it's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So I don't know. I thought that was a, a funny letter. But um, but yeah, it, it's something that's on people's minds at the time, I guess, if they're putting the letter in there. I love that, though, that people were writing in about stuff like that. That's awesome. I could be crazy, but I I feel like there was the lettered section. I know they still do it in comics, but it seemed like a more civilized place to kind of reach out to creators than, you know, everything now. Because it was heavily, uh, you know, moderated. They they didn't print the crazy stuff. (laughs) I'm sure they were getting just as much crazy letters as you see on message boards today. They just weren't printing them. Fair enough. Because I know... Uh, I think it's a recent IDW issue where they print something from someone who's kind of a jerk and they're like, we just wanted to print this to show you that these are the types of letters we sometimes get and don't be this guy <laughs> type of thing. 
But let us spotlight this guy so he has his moment in the sun. Yeah. <laughs> and then the issue just ends on Baxter Bot kind of escaping the facility and walking through the woods. The desert. Or it looks like the desert to me. Do you think it's the woods? I thought it turns into woods at the end. Maybe I'm wrong. It looks like he's standing on rocks. I thought he was going like up into the mountains. Okay. Because when they come to this facility at the end of the volume, getting a little ahead of ourselves, I, I definitely think this is in the desert. But also getting ahead of ourselves, the reason I'm really keyed in on where this is, I think this is a desert... Because I think it's weird that the next volume, I mean, next issue, next volume, wow, that's really jumping ahead. Uh, the next issue uh, opens with him underwater. And I'm like, wow, how much of this travel did we miss? But we'll get there next week. But, but, I, think, um, I think that's why I thought it, he was going up a mountain to Fort, I don't know. But yeah, overall, you know, not a heck of a lot happens in the issue, but I, it's got some really great moments. You know, yeah. like it. Like I said, they do an awesome job introducing Baxter Bot. I do it's like the first time we see uh, nobody. I guess we can say because we do find out in this issue that that cop is nobody. Next the issue, character from Volume One. Next issue. Oh, but we hear his name, which we then connect next issue. Yeah, we hear that that that's the cop's name in this issue, and then next issue we find out that that's nobody. Not really a big reveal. Because, you know, it's the only cop character we know so far. So overall, I, I gave this one a four. I liked it a lot. Really? A four? Yeah, I really, I love all the Baxter Stockman stuff. I like them exploring the turtles kind of growing up. I, I really mean, I didn't it, hate it. I gave it a 3.5. Just because to me, I feel like, I think it was last episode we talked about how or no, this is going back to City at War. And we talked about how they, they spent a lot of time setting the pieces. And I feel like this is the last we're setting the pieces up issue before next issue where things start to kick off. I don't know. They, they just did it in a way that I thought was really engaging. I love the moment between the, the two people at the apartment just complaining about the new landlord, even though it uh -huh. does, it's just a moment. I don't know. I just really but things definitely the go up starting next issue to me. So I needed somewhere to go. <laughs> so I, I gave it a 3.5. Well, like you said, I it's all kind of up. So I'm going to be surprised yep. if the scores really dip at any point. But I don't know. Yeah, that it. was on my mind too. I don't feel like I'm going to have any fives in volume two. But I like five out of five comics. Hmm. But I also don't feel like I'm going to rate anything like a two. I feel like this is a very consistent volume. Again, like we said in the first issue, like they kind of only tell two stories. Yeah. And in those two stories, like they're very consistent. It's probably going to be, be between like a 3.5 and a four the whole way through. So you're not going to get the best turtles comic you've ever read, but you're also going to get a pretty consistently good quality story. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. So that was my rating. Also, we should mention that this was the last issue that had the three, the third part of the three-part story by Eric Talbot and Jim Lawson. It, it had a little backup story about a uh, cat going through the facility. It doesn't really 
go anywhere. It's just I feel like they just wanted to draw a cat sneaking around being cute. Yeah, I'm kind of okay with that not being in the collection. And it's time now to kick into our first toy figure facts of the new season. Woo! Except we're not really technically doing a toy, even though I'll consider it a toy. I don't know. We're going to talk about, we're going to start our coverage, the first part of a three-part series, much like that cat story. Some slightly more interesting and requiring batteries. Yes. Four double A's. And we're going to start talking about, we covered the main console Ninja Turtle releases of the time, although we still haven't touched on tournament fighters, but. We'll get to that because, I mean, there's three versions of it. We're going to start the first part of our three-part coverage on the Game Boy Trilogy. Because we're not going to neglect the handhelds. TMNT Fall of the Foot Clan was the first Game Boy release. Well, first off, what's what's your history with the Game Boy in general? Did you have one growing up? I didn't have one. My older brother had one he'd let us borrow. As far as this game specifically... The first time I tried it was on the bus in middle school on the way in because somebody had it. And he's like, oh, you like Ninja Turtles? Yeah, here. And I was terrible at it. What other games do you remember playing? Uh, Game Boy, I remember Tetris. I think I tried Samus Returns but didn't understand, like, the idea of Metroidvania maps. Same. Super Mario Land, the first one I had played. And then I think some of the like arcade re-releases like Donkey Kong and some of that stuff that they brought back yep. out on Game Boy. I think Game Boy SP was like the first one I actually owned. So that's where a lot of the stuff I played was. So I, I didn't play a heck of a lot of Game Boy. Well, I wish I knew about this game back in the day because I did play Game Boy a lot, and I think I would have loved this game. I just, like, never heard of it until I was an adult. I didn't play any of these three Ninja Turtle Game Boy games. I played a lot of Mega Man on the, of the Game Boy titles. Oh, yeah, they, they had, had a few those. Game Boy ones. Uh, I remember playing Kirby's Dream World a lot. Zelda Link's Awakening, of course. Everyone played that. I loved, I've told you this before, Mario Six Golden Coins. It's a yep. very underrated Mario game. To a lesser extent, the the like confusingly titled Wario Land Super Mario Land 3, which is weird because the sequel to that game is just called Wario Land 4. So there's no one or two. I never got into the first Super Mario Land. That one was always kind of weird. I played Pokemon, obviously. Yeah, like I remember you playing that. Age. I remember Nick and I, we got opposite versions. I got... Uh, blue and he got red and we replayed the intro to the game six times so that we could each get all 150 pokemon and the 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 three starters specifically we each got all we each got a for a copy because you had to go through the first gym so you had to play the whole intro of the game the whole like first chapter before you could trade pokemon yeah the back to the the ninja turtles though that these were the type of games that, in my mind, as a kid, when I would buy those Tiger Electronic games, I always thought they would be like this, and oh, not yeah, like yeah. A, a bunch of LED lights on a static background. Yeah. Like when you when you look at the the box art and stuff for that, you're like, oh, it's gonna be like you know a side scrolling, 
uh, and like the, the, the foot clan's going to jump out and I'm going to hit them and they're going to explode. And then I'm going to keep walking, you know, like that type of game. Uh, this game came out in August of 1990. It was about one year after the NES game that we talked about the first turtles game on Nintendo. And it was about two or three months before the arcade game hit arcades. And obviously before NES. So I, I played an emulation of this and I actually, I, I beat the game, but I am so impressed with how good this game looks and yeah. sounds. To me, it felt very much like early stage Game Boy game. Like to me, I feel like the Game Boy was out for so long. Like it came out in, I think, 88 Somewhere around there. Oh, so and by it, this time in its life, you expected more? It lasted until 2001, believe it or not. I believe that. Anyway, the, like, so in my mind, there's like two different lifespans in the Game Boy. Like, keep in mind, like the Nintendo 64 was out when they were still making Game Boy games. Like, that's crazy. But like Link's Awakening... It feels like it's in a different life cycle than this game. It was like three years later that that came out. Or like the Pokemon games I mentioned. They feel a little more evolved. And I think a good way to track it is those Mario Land games. Like look at the difference between Super Mario Land and Super Mario Land 2 Six Golden Coins. Like it's it's insane how how polished and how, how used to the Game Boy they got. So So how that relates to how I see this game... Yes, it looks gorgeous. I'd actually argue the next one looks better and and so on. Like I think these games keep looking better. There's some things like like the in all three of these, your character sprite kind of takes up a big portion of the screen and you're yeah. always kind of like dead center of the screen. Yep. So the scrolling run into enemies or like projectile stuff unfairly. And like that's the type of stuff I associate with like the beginning of the Game Boy's life. Now, what surprised me about it was that it did the NES thing where you pick a turtle. If you failed with that turtle, they get captured. You pick a different turtle. I love that there's no timer in the game because I associate that with Game Boy. There's always like a timer on most of those games. And there's then points, which is a, a leftover from like arcade game stuff. Like I, I remember even back then being like, I don't know why all these games keep track of points. Like, they don't matter for anything. I was going to say, they don't give you extra lives or anything. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know. The other thing I thought was kind of cool, though, the levels are pretty lengthy. You know, there's only five yeah. levels, but they're not small. They're segmented. And you can choose, you can choose where you want to start, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah, so my first playthrough, I got to the Technodrome level and lost my last turtle. So I just went and started from there to actually see all the bosses but even that i thought the boss encounters were pretty good i mean it's just bebop rocksteady baxter shredder krang but well yeah let's let's i always do this for the games let's go over the list so the level list is stage one is city streets and sewers yep stage two is factory uh stage three is convoy oh yeah i thought that was cool too that they had a a moving level yep Stage four is Mountain Caverns, and stage five was Technodrome, like you said. And the bosses were Rocksteady, Bebop, Baxter Stockman, Shredder, and Krang. 
The fourth level was cool too, because part of it's underwater, but it's not like the NES game. Yeah. Like you, you're just doing the side scrolling beat them yeah, up underwater. You're not like, nobody complains about this being like a giant headache, like they do about the NES underwater thing. And I don't know. I actually had a lot of fun playing it. But getting to Raph's size, they look like forks in this game. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny, every turtle has like a weird smile on their face the whole time, too. <laughs> and all the weapons feel like they're rubber. Yeah, yep. You know what I think is getting kind of weird, too? I feel like if these games came out today, they'd start to get criticized for this, is every Ninja Turtle game has the same bosses. You know, it's always, there's going to be Rocksteady, Bebop, maybe them at the same time. There's going to be Baxter, Stockman, Shredder, and Krang every time. And, yeah, you get some variety with, like, Leatherhead in Turtles in Time, or every now and then you'll get a Rat King like turtles in time, but like, I don't know. Maybe I, I think that's a lot to do with the fact that this is a new franchise because now that I'm thinking about it, there's really not much else besides what I just listed. The only thing I thought was weird about the shredder fight is it's underwater, which yep. <laughs> I didn't get. Cause it's just well, shredder. Gotta, Cause like I just said, cause you're doing the same bosses in every game. You got to do them different. Like you can't always fight in front of the teleporter. You know, every single time. But, I, you know, it kind of has the little cut scenes. They, they managed to do a pretty decent Game Boy music version of the theme. You know, I don't know. There's yep. just a lot about it I thought was charming. We'll go with that. But then there's other stuff that was kind of cringy. Like at the end when you're rescuing April. That- oh, yeah. And it's that meme where Michelangelo has got the unfortunate hand placement. Yeah, and there's a, a it's not a cutscene, but like a panel in between where one whoever you're being goes, "Oh, we're close. I can hear April screaming." <laughs> <laughs> That's a good sign. <laughs> and it it might be my favorite version of the mousers in the games. Well, yeah, none of the enemies really overstay their welcome. They all take, like, a couple of hits and they're gone. There's nothing in this game where you're like, oh, this thing just won't go down, you know? Yeah, the platforming stuff's not a pain, even though you get barrels and some other stuff Random that they like to throw metal balls yeah. that you always have. <laughs> but, no, I don't know. I think it it's a pretty decent game. And I agree. Considering when it came out, I had very low expectations. I agree. It's definitely, if you're a Turtle fan and you're you're sick of replaying the same four games that we've covered already, five games, with Hyperstone Heist. Yeah, it's it's definitely a, a, a good addition. It could be improved. Like I said, the, the thing with you being in the dead center of the screen kind of sticks for all three of these. But other than that, I wish I had this game back when I was a kid. I would have loved it. I played a lot of Game Boy back then and and all of my memories of Game Boy like I can remember playing Game Boy in the back seat of the car when you could only really see the screen when you drove by like a street light yep and like when you get to the part of your drive we're like oh no more street lights I have to put the game away like yeah I played the emulation so it was a little easier to look at on a oh, TV that's, that's what I played too yeah <laughs> so if you beat this on the actual original cart, kudos to you, because I'm old now. It's too dang small. All right, well, I think that's everything we have this week, so 
Thank you, everyone, for listening. We will see you back here next week to talk about issue four of volume two, where I say things finally start, the action starts to heat up. You know, things are getting started. In the meantime, if you want to support our podcast, we have a Patreon. You can head on over to patreon.com slash TMNTNerds. Uh, subscribe to the show. It'll help you find out when new episodes pop up. You'll just get them automatically. So if, if you like the show, not really any reason not to. And if you haven't yet, please go down below. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts because that helps new people find the show. Not even just in the algorithm that like shows... You know, when people search Ninja Turtle podcast, it helps us pop up. But also, there are people who just like won't listen to a show if it doesn't have any recent reviews. You know, they, I've I've read about that, and to tell you the truth, I'm I'm not one of I don't go that far. But when I do find a new show, I do look at the reviews, and if they haven't had a recent review in the last like year, I'm like, oh, that's. You know, I, I do think that's kind of weird. You know, it's I shouldn't do it, but I do. So, yeah, leave us a review for that reason and, and to help people find us. And recommend the show to anyone you know that likes Ninja Turtles. And we'll see you next week. So, yeah. The Ninja Turtle Nerds is a fan-supported podcast. If you'd like to support the show, head on over to patreon.com slash tmntnerds. If you'd like to see images of the comics we discussed in this episode, you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at tmntnerds. Have a question or comment for us? You can email us at tmntnerds at gmail.com. And if you like the show, be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thank you very much for listening.